we fail to think about how it has affected our life even today and how God is calling each one of us to live. And in this Advent, Advent season of, of hope, peace, joy, and love, we are this, this week zeroing in on the love of God for us in Christ. And so uh, if you'll stand with me this morning, uh, you have your Bibles open, I believe, to 1 John chapter 4. Uh, if you don't, I'll give you just a second there to find it. 1 John uh, chapter 4, and uh, we're going to start in verse 7, and we're going to read all the way through the end of the chapter, and, 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 and we're going to talk about this morning what it means to have been loved to live, and, and think about how the love of Christ has changed our life in a way, and it now calls us uh, to live in a certain way. And so uh, 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, uh, follow along with me there in your Bible, we'll read to the end of the chapter. John, he writes to the church, he said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if, if God so loved us, we also, also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. Father... Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that, Lord, we have read. Now, Lord, we pray for your spirit to teach us. Lord, to help us examine our heart and to consider, Lord, the ways that we're failing to love. Lord, the ways that we're failing to reflect what your love is. And, uh, Lord, we need your help this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. You be seated. Well, wow, that's a word that uh, is used quite frequently in our world today, love. I wonder when was the last time you said love? You know, love is a word that has become so shallow. Um, it, it's a word that we want to be so deeply profound, but the way that we use it in our world today, uh, we, we talk about our love for our significant other, and then we, we turn around and use the same word to describe our love for pizza, you know? 
or coffee or sports. And you're like, I love you. And you're talking to your child. And then you're like, but I also love this pen, you know? And you're like, and this, this word just doesn't really do what, what we want it to do, right? We, 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 we hear it spoken so much. Um, um, it, it, is, it is often so heavily filled with these deeply sentimental terms so that love in our culture is more communicated by a feeling and that I, I fell in love or I feel love. And, and so we want these warm fuzzy feelings inside of us. We want these sentimental feelings that, that, that resonate when we hear the word love, but yet love is far deeper than that. When we, when we think about how we use it in our, in our society today, everything is, I love this, I love that, I love that. I remember when we were videoing a, a number of months ago, we were recording a, a church welcome video and uh, we had Enoch with us and he's uh, our media wizard and he was helping getting a whole bunch of stuff for us and people were given like a, a testimony of, of our church to other people. And, 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 and the one thing he was helping us not do is every one of us said, I love you or I, I'd love to see you here. And he says, don't say that, you know, don't say that. And you're like, wait, 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 we don't love people? No, we don't really love people the way that you say you love people. And so it cheapens it. It, it cheapens it when we, when, we, when we say something without genuinely understanding what that means. It, it, the word love is a term in our society that is actually uh, overemphasized, it's, it's underemphasized, it's it's, it's one of those words that gets attached to so many other words that before long, we just don't, we, we, we don't even really know what we're saying when we say something as simple as, I love you. You see, our love is far deeper. The love of God is far deeper than our love. And when we enter into this season of Advent, the season of Advent asks each one of us, it really confronts each one of us with an entirely different kind of love. And that is God's love. Someone has put it this way, love does not define God, but God defines love. You say, wait a minute, Pastor Aaron, how does God define love? Let me give you a few ways. In the book that you've opened to this morning in your Bible there, 1 John, uh, there are five chapters and it's a relatively short letter. But if, if you've ever read the book of 1 John, you know that the theme or at least one of the major themes in the book in John's letter is love. It's a word that comes up so frequently. In just five chapters, John uses the word love over 50 times. In the verses that you and I looked at this morning, the root word for love was used over 27 times. So when you think about that, John is telling us something about love. If, if you're taking notes this morning, let me give you just three simple things to guide us in this passage. The first one is in verses 7 to 8. John is going to tell us what love is. He's going to tell us what love is. Look down in your Bible and look at the end of verse 8. Notice how he describes what love is. He says at the very end of verse 8, he says, God is what? Love. God is love. Now, we, now we, now we certainly can't turn that around and say that love is God because, because sometimes we're tempted to do that, but when we do that, we weaken it to say that love is only something that God uh, shows. It is not who God is. You see, God not only acts in loving ways, love is not simply one of God's attributes. Love is who God is. 
It is the very essence of God himself. And so everything that God does for us flows out of his love. His holiness is a holy love. His kindness is this, is this loving kindness. His patience is this loving patience. It is this aspect that everything that God is, the essence of who God is, is love. He defines it. God sets the agenda for what love is. But you know, our world is so contrary to that. There's a lot of people today that want to set for us an agenda of what love looks like. Hollywood. Hollywood wants to define and interpret what love looks like. Our country. Our country wants to take a stand on what love is. Spouses or parents, you know, sometimes you grow up in a family and you think about the way that you were loved. And, and sometimes we base our standard of what now we do in our families or in our own marriages in the way we grew up. But that's not the standard of love. Those romance novels that I've never read, but I'm sure want to define for us the, this, this standard of love. And here's the fact, none of those people have it. Everyone is searching because the Bible says that God defines it. At least this kind of love. The agape love. It is a love of self-sacrifice. It is the love of God. It was not a word that uh, was, was originated to, to, to communicate God's love, but the New Testament authors grabbed on to one of the four different kinds of words for love in the Greek language. And, and one of them, the word agape, is this word of, of this loyal love, this commitment love, this self-sacrificing love. And, and, and that's the word that the New Testament writers latched onto as they talked about God's love. They said that God defines it. God is love. So John tells us first what love is, but then secondly, notice what he says in verses 9 through 11. He tells us what love looks like. You see, some of you have, when, when, when people in the church, well-meaning people say to you, God loves you. So, some of you are just the cynical natured people that just run to roll your eyes at that. You're like, nah. You've ever bristled against that? Someone reminds you the fact that God loves you and you're instantly cynical about it. Why? Well, it's because, it's because you've maybe taken your cues from how this world defines love, and if, and if this world defines love as a feeling, if, if this world defines love as, as the sentimental feeling, then, then some of us in life, we go through moments of deep pain and deep hardship, and we're saying this question, then why in the world would a loving God ever? Because, because we're saying, wait, wait, don't tell me that God loves me. Right? And people bristle against it because they simply do not know what love is. They, they have put themselves in the center, as it were, of, of understanding that they are the source of, of meaning of all of this love. And they, they, they forget that God is love, that this is, this is more a description of who God is than of who we are. And, and so love is not this sappy, sentimental feeling. When you look at the New Testament and you see God's love, God's love was not simply spoken to us. It was shown. It was shown in action. The Bible says even while we were enemies of God, in our rebellion, God loved us. Let me ask you a question. Who initiated the love in the, French, in the relationship we have with God? Us or God? God did. God initiated it. 
God pursues us. In spite of our sin and rebellion, God seeks us out. He demonstrates his love. So John says, God is love. And so let's look at what love looks like. Notice what John describes for us. He says in verse nine, in this, in what, John? In this, he's gonna describe a way in which God's love was shown to us. You see, the agape love is always associated with action. It's, it's always accompanied by some type of, 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 of verb or action verb. That's why in, in 1 Corinthians 13, when Paul talks about love and he gives us that great chapter on what love is, he has to use all these other words to give feet and hands to love. He says, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy or, or is arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way, is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but love rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. God's love is a kind of love that seeks us out. It's a love that pursues us. Jesus said, the good shepherd leaves the 99 for how many? For the one. It's not just because of the worth or the value of the one. It's because of the nature of the shepherd. It's because he's a God of love. And it's because of who he is that we see his love and all that he does accompanied by, by him seeking the well-being of others. God gives us love without ever expecting anything in return. That's why in 1 John, verse 9, he says it two times. He uses this phrase that in this, in what? In this, the love of God was made manifest that God, shout the next word, that God what? Say it louder, that God what? That God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. Notice verse 10. In this is love, he says it again. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and say the next word loudly, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I love John Stott in his commentary on these verses. Listen what he writes. He says, but God loves sinners who are unworthy of his love, indeed subjects to his wrath. He loved us and sent his son to rescue us, not because we are lovable, but because he is love. So the greatness of his love is seen in the costliness of his self-sacrifice for the holy undeserving. You see what John Stott is saying? He says God's love is not seen as when you think about so many of us, my friend, so many of us, when we think about the Christmas story, we somehow insert ourselves into the center of the story. You see, the cross is not a symbol of, 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 of how much man is worth, although it's, it's partly that, but it's not only that. It's far more a statement of God's holiness. It's far more a statement of God's love that God would vindicate himself and in doing so that he would show and demonstrate his love to this world, that he would show his love, that, notice John says, that the world might live through him. The cross is a statement about the love of God. It's a statement about who God is and his love for the world. It's a statement of his own nature, of his own essence, of his own personhood. You see, the Christmas story tells us, shows us that, 
that, that love cost God something. Love cost God something. As he takes upon humanity and as he enters into this world, God's love cost him far more than love has ever cost you. We just don't, we just don't, we, we, we think we know, but we just really don't know. Those of you that are parents and you've held a child, your child, you just, your heart just wells up with this feeling like, I don't know if I could ever love anything more than this. But can I just tell you something? That is merely an echo of the love of God for us. The love of God for himself, <laughs> for his holiness, his righteousness, for who he is. God is a jealous God. And even when we turn our backs against him, God pursues us in his love. So you ask the question, God, why did you do it? I mean, when you think about what it cost him, God, why did you do it? Notice in verse 9, he tells us why. In the end of verse 9, he says, so that, here's the reason. You want to know the reason of why God demonstrated his love to you through the cross and sending Christ Jesus? You want to understand why he lived a life of such hostility against himself that he shed blood for you and I? Do you want to understand why he died on a cruel Roman cross and he gave up himself willingly for the sins of the whole world? God, why would you do that? Verse 10, 9, so that we might what? Live through him. This is the way that the Advent story changes your life and mine, that now our lives are to live a certain way. In light of what he has done for us, in light of how he has demonstrated his love for us, God now wants you and I to live our lives in a different way, that we might live. And how are we going to live? We're now going to live our life through Christ Jesus. John Stott, as he continues his commentary, he says, no one has been to the cross and seeing God's immeasurable, unmerited love displayed there, no person that has truly gone there can go back to a life of selfishness. Do you see what Stott's saying? He says, if my friend, if there has been a moment in your life where you have gone to Calvary and you have considered all that God endured for the sins of the world, and for you, then how can you walk away from that scene unchanged? If you've really experienced the love of God for you in Christ Jesus, I can never go back to a life of just living for me. Now I live through him. Now I live my life for him. And it's gripped me and it's changed me. And now it changes the way that I love others. You see, the first great commandment is that we would love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind. But, but the second greatest commandment is what? That we would love our neighbor. And, and, and those two commands are like the backsides of the same coin. They're connected and they're deeply connected. 
John says, if you say that you love God, but you do not love somebody who you can see, John says, you're a liar. Because if you love God, you love others. That's why when you hear people say, oh, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. They don't love Jesus. There's a connection between loving God and loving others, and we can't in any way separate the two. If our lives are going to experience the mercy and grace of God in such a deeply profound way to experience his love in our life, it is something now that we end up in receiving, end up displaying and reflecting his love to someone else. You see, my friend, if I've received love, if I've received forgiveness, if I've received the mercy and grace of God in my life, then for me to extend that onto somebody else is me not somehow trying to originate these loving feelings within my own heart it is simply reflecting the love of God that has been shown in my heart and they're deeply connected you know sometimes people really really struggle to to understand forgiving someone else well we'll have a hard time forgiving others if we think that forgiveness originates in our heart But if forgiveness is not really ours, because it's not, forgiveness is God's. And if it's something that I've received from God, then it is something that I am giving on behalf of God to someone else. And I don't have to originate it in my own heart. And there's a lot of people that live their life ensnared in bitterness and unforgiveness because they are trying to manufacture a forgiveness, a love from within themselves that they'll never be able to find. But my friend, when you come to Christ and you come to the cross and you recognize that God is love and that God is full of mercy and that God is full of compassion and that God is full of forgiveness and that God is full of long-suffering and you have received God's grace into your own life, you'll be able to freely give it to others because you're not giving what is yours. You're giving what is His. So John tells us that love is God. God is love. That, that, that Notice how John tells us. He, he tells us what love is, that God is love. He tells us what love looks like. How did God demonstrate his love toward us? He demonstrated it in the cross of Christ. And then we discover finally, what is love doing? What is love doing? John tells us in verse 12 through 16, love is abiding in us. The Spirit of God is indwelling in us. When we recognize that love, biblical love, is self-sacrifice. It's giving without ever an expectation of receiving. It's giving in a way that it costs you something. When was the last time you loved someone else like that? When was the last time you loved somebody without expecting anything in return. Spouses, when was the last time you loved your spouse without having this mental checklist of what they've done for you, so now you return the favor and back and forth? When was the last time that you loved unconditional self-sacrificing without ever expecting anything in return? When was the last time you loved your enemies in that way? It's easy to love you. Jesus even says that. It's easy to love people that love you. 
What about people that don't love you? When was the last time you showed, demonstrated love to them in such a deep way that it cost you something? You see, this is, this is how Advent challenges us in how we're to live. Because God is love. We look at the cross and we remember what God did for us. And now, in this season of giving, it's time to extend God's love, His mercy, His grace, His forgiveness to the undeserving. To those that don't deserve it. But no greater way would you manifest the love of the Savior than in doing what he has done for you. You say, that's hard. How do you love somebody that's a complete stranger? How do you love somebody that, we've already kind of talked about how do you love somebody that's hurt you, but, but, but how do you just love somebody that you just, you're just not comfortable with? I don't know, I shared this story with you years ago and it's, it's just rung out in my mind and this week there was a CBS article ran a number of years ago on CBS. It was a, uh, about a 45-year-old photographer, his name was Richard Rinaldi. And they called it the Manhattan Project, or they, they called it Project Touching Strangers. It happened in Manhattan. And what this photographer did is he walked around Manhattan and he found absolute complete strangers. And if we had time, I'd do it here, but we just don't have time, all right? And, and, and he, he took two random people off the street and, and he began to take pictures of them and he began to adore, put them in these adoring poses where they had to kind of, at least, you know, put their arm around them or kind of, you know, smile together. And, and he took pictures like that for 10 minutes. What they described at the end of all of the 10 minute photo shoot was that as people walked away from the project, they would actually describe how they cared for the people they were taking pictures with. You say, wait a minute, they don't even know the people. How in the world are they caring for them? Well, it's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, it would be quite wrong to think that the way to become loving is to try and sit and manufacture affectionate feelings. The rule for us all is perfectly simple. Do not waste time bothering whether or not you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. And as soon as we do this, we learn one of the great secrets then when you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I'll close with this. I frequently enjoy listening to a podcast by Steve Cuss. It's called Managing Leadership Anxiety. I'd gladly recommend it to you. At the end of every one of his shows, he ends a guest episode by running them through the gauntlet. And one of the questions that he asks nearly every guest, and I want to ask it to you this morning, is this question. When in your life have you recently felt most fully and completely loved? When in your life recently have you felt most fully and completely loved. Now, can I tell you something? That is just a mere echo of the love that God has for us in Christ. 
This morning, why don't you lean into the love of Christ for you? Why don't you quit your running? Why don't you just lay down your guard and experience the deep love, the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ? And would you then this week show it to someone else, a complete stranger, someone in your family or friend that's undeserving? And they would experience, too, the deep love that we've all been shown in Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We thank you for your infinite, unfailing love for us. Lord, we can't put into words. Lord, I don't know a lot about our love for you, but Lord, your word tells us a lot about your love for us. And God, in this season the season that can be very difficult for some. Lord, may they know especially the deep love that you have for them. Lord, may you change us. May, you see, may we see the cross afresh and anew. And, um, and Lord, may it spur us to love people in a different way. We love you and thank you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Everyone said, amen.